Oh, man. Thanks. Hello, everyone. This is fun. Welcome to church. This is great. Like, oh, love the worship. I love the prayer. Um, and this, oh, I love church, uh, along with Merlot and single malt whiskey. Just my favorite <laughs> things, right? A um, uh, little bit more about me, I'm like, uh, so as I said, I've been part of this community for about four years, uh, right when Coastline Vineyard started, and I've actually been in the vineyard about 20 years, so um, uh, I was part of the, one of the first, well, uh, I was part of the first vineyard church that got planted in the UK a few years after it got planted, and um, and with John and Ellie Mumford, and I sat under them as phenomenal leaders, and I, what I saw, I learned some amazing things about, about church, and I fell in love with church, and I said, this is what I wanted to do. And um, outside work, I, I work for one of the largest banks in the world, um, and we have uh, about a quarter of a million staff around the world, and part of my job is to help train the leaders, so the top 20,000 in that group, and, and specifically focusing at the moment on the top 2,000 of those group. And... It's, it's been amazing just uh, learning about what it takes to be a great leader, because uh, that's kind of what I do as, as a day job. And one of the really interesting things that, that has emerged from that is, is this concept of purpose and why. And um, we, there's a great guy called Simon Sinek. Anyone heard of Simon Sinek? Yeah, a few of you have. Fantastic speaker. And he's come up with this concept of know your why. Because if you know your purpose, if you know why you're doing what you're doing, you access a whole new set of resources, um, new energy, new focus, new belief. You're able to step into discomfort. You're able to step into questions because you know what you're for. You know what you're going after. So what is our why? And so we're helping leaders access that. So why do we exist? What are we, what are we doing here? What is the point? So why am I talking about that? Well, so um, me and two friends were, uh, were at a wedding um, a few months back. And uh, a slightly disastrous trip for me when I was trying to uh, buy a new car and had to return it and then get another one and ended up having to pay 300 quid for a taxi home. But that's another story entirely. But um, we had a really, really interesting moment uh, where a good friend of ours, um, I'll call him Jack. It's not his real name, uh, but I'll call him Jack. And Jack very kindly offered to give me, Sam, Mr. and Harris, a lift uh, part of the way home. And we're sitting in the car, and we just had an amazing wedding. There's 30 of us there, really got to know each other, and everyone were Christians. Um, so there was this really, really amazing sense of God's presence, and it was brilliant. And um, I was hanging out with, with Jack, and uh, we're talking about careers. And I said, so, I said, so how does your faith impact your career? And, and he paused, and he says, well, I don't really have a faith. I said, oh, okay, it's all right. He says, well, I used to, I used to be a Christian, and uh, I used to go to church, it was amazing. And I said, oh, okay, well, what happened? 
He said, well, um, I was going to church and I kind of realized, I started to feel that I was kind of faking it, that I wasn't actually a real Christian. And the real reason I was going to church was just it's a social group and I like to hang out with people. And my integrity in me demanded that, oh, I can't fake this. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So I stopped going so often and I don't go anymore. And I don't know if I'm really a Christian anymore. And it's really struck me because, you know, because um, he had all the hallmarks of someone of faith, is how he was. And it didn't surprise me that he'd, he'd been to church. And what really struck me is that um, a lot of people have had questions, and particularly COVID has been brutal. COVID has been brutal. And like even myself, so I, I love church, it's absolutely fantastic. But when I started coming back to church after COVID, I don't know, I just didn't, I just didn't feel as excited. Something started to annoy me. And I was like, this is a little bit hypey. And they're talking about money again. <laughs> and, and it's like, they're doing all these weird kind of ritual things. And I thought, and I saw like, I, am I just doing this just to hang out with people? What is, what is the reason why I'm, I'm actually here? And I realized I needed to go on a journey of knowing my why. Why am I coming here? And... If you're experiencing that, and you know, if you're here or you, you're online, accessing your why is a really powerful thing when it comes to church, because this is not a social group, right? It's not. If it was, we may as well just go home. So what I'd like to talk about today is what is the why of church? Because if you think about it... Um, it's kind of crazy. Like, I, I, I remember once, so I was, um, I was working uh, for one of the big five consultancies, and <laughs> I was, uh, and it was my first week working for this big new client. I had a new team members. Two of them were two really pretty girls that I really wanted to impress, and um, fellow consultants. And um, so... I had that moment, it was Thursday, and I was leading a life group at the time, and um, I said, all right, so uh, I need to just pack up, so I can, and I had this really big Bible with me um, that was in my bag, and I was going to prep for life group on the way, and they asked me the question that many of you have been asked by non-Christians, what are you doing tonight? And I'm like, in that moment, everything slowed down. <laughs> what are you doing tonight? And I was faced with a choice. Do I tell them I'm going to go sit with a bunch of friends in a circle, sing songs, pray for each other, and speak to a God that we cannot see? Or do I say... I'm just going to hang up with a bunch of friends. Because technically that's true, right? I'm hanging out with friends. We're just doing weird kind of spiritual stuff, right? And so I said, I'm just going to hang out with some friends now. And my heart sank. I was like, oh, 
Not only am I Christian, not only am I going to life group, but I'm about to lead the life group. And I've just denied Jesus. And I was waiting for the thunder. I felt terrible. So, and I was like, and then they'd left, and I was like, oh no, what do I do? And I'm like, I had this massive Bible with me, right? So I thought, okay, Jesus, I'm going to prove to you that I love you. So I'm going to invite persecution on the way home to prove to you that I love you, and I'm a real Christian, right? So, and I had to take this tube back to, to London, and I had this big Bible, so I, I sat on the tube, and I opened this big Bible on my lap, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get some persecution now. Someone's going to look you like, just like, you know, what are you doing? So I sat on this Bible, and I was like, nothing. Everyone, if you've been in the tube in London, anyone's just reading their books, right? And I was like, oh, okay, but there's another stop. I have to change, go to another tube. So I go into another tube, and I get in. I make even a bigger deal about taking I lift it slightly over my head, and I put it on my tongue. It's like, looking around. Everyone's just like, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I tried. You just need to know I'm genuinely sorry. Um, and I... Uh, and then I get on the train, the overground train home, and I thought, I better actually get on to do some actual prep for this life group, which is going to be starting in an hour. So I sit down on the train, and I said, uh, and, I, and I put my bag next to me, open, open the Bible on, and I had my phone, and I started typing out what I was going to talk about. And then I hear this voice next to me. and says, excuse me, can you move your bag, please? And I was like... Okay, and uh, and there was this guy in this pinstripe suit, and uh, he was, uh, and I said, oh, fine, and I moved it, and he sat down to me, and I got my Bible open and typed my notes, and he says, you know, you're the second person I've sat next to today with the Bible. What is it all about? And I'm like, And then I was like, all right, what do I say to this guy? He knows nothing about church, right? What is it we're actually doing? <laughs> and I said, okay. So the Bible, it kind of does three amazing things. First of all, it tells us who God is, what he's like, his personality, his nature. And it tells us uh, who we are what he thinks about us, how he feels about us. And then the rest of it is stories about people who have lived out this relationship with God. And what's really interesting about most of those stories is that there's a theme. And you look at Abraham, Moses, Deborah, Mary, uh, Joseph. There's a theme. They're pretty messed up people. They encounter God. They don't think they have what it takes to do it. God does extraordinary things through them, and they get changed in the process. And tonight, I'm meeting with six or seven of my friends, and we recognize that we're pretty messed up and we're broken, and we're intrigued by this God who says he loves us. And we want what He's done in those other people's lives. We want them in our own lives. And the guy says, 
Oh, that's really interesting. And then it was, you know, end of the, end of the um, uh, line, and I had, to, I had to get off and carry on. But it really got me thinking. It's like, why, what is actually going on? What are the mechanics? Why are we actually doing church? And, and how do we... Um, what is, what is actually going on? Because for me to address my questions about whether I still want to be engaged in church, I need to understand what actually goes on, and specifically what the Bible says about it. So we're going to look really briefly, for another 15 minutes or so, into um, three concepts, and they all start with W. I was very pleased, right? right? Excellent, right? Learned it from the best, right? Three-point sermon, ideally the same. Yeah, I know, I know what's good to it. It doesn't work in my job, anyway. Um, so the first one is W is war, okay? That's the backdrop. The backdrop to all of this, the reason why we come here is war, okay? And so now, uh, John is in Patmos. He writes Revelation. I thought this is something straight out of a Marvel movie. Like my housemate Harris is completely addicted to Marvel movies and all his friends. So, so I'm, I'm hearing them all the time. I walk in, there's this rumble and Thanos is doing this and there's this, that and all the kind of weird stuff. And I'm reading. Like this, this revelation thing that Paul writes, I reckon he must have had too much sun in Patmos. That's all I'm saying, right? But anyway, he writes this and this is Revelation 12 verse 7. And he said, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And he was hurled to the earth with these angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, important word, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them, before God, day and night, has been hurled down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and all you dwell on earth. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. And it carries on, and it's like, then the dragon was enraged um, at the woman and went off to make war, to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We are at war. You have an enemy. And what he uses is lies, right? What does Jesus say about the devil, right? He says, he's the father of lies. John 8, verse 44, right? John 8, verse 44, he is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his own language. And if you think about, um, here we go. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, that there is no truth in him. Um, and if you think about how people do war nowadays, they don't necessarily invade so often, right? But what happens is this whole campaign of misinformation, right? 
Think about it. All the hackers dropping in lies. Basically, the most powerful weapon used today in our society are lies. Right? Just the devil. That's what he does. He lies to us. So, like he says in Ephesians 6 with 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? There's a recognition that there is a battle on, and the battle is about truth. So what is, what is actually going on? How does Jesus, how does church fit in all of this? What's well, really interesting about the vineyard, we have what we call a kingdom theology, right? Now, uh, um, in normal evangelical theology, says, and it's, which is great and important, is that Jesus died for our sins. So he was born, he died for our sins, and he was, rose again, and now we can get to heaven, right? Really important points. Kingdom theology says it's not just that Jesus arrived and he was born and then, Miss um, Mark, what did he do while he was on earth? Right? What did he do while he was on earth? And Jesus explains his manifesto in Luke 4, right? Where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. All right? Restore the sight of the blind. Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted and declare the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is in the transformation business. And my real, real, real favorite one is 1 John 3 verse 8 where he says, I have come to destroy the works of the evil one. How great is that? I love his militancy, right? This is war. This is war. And how do we experience this war? Well, we experience the lies that we believe. Some of you have believed lies about yourself that are not true. And you feel it when you walk in, like if you feel rejected, if you feel unloved, if you feel fearful. So the critical thing about church is that we are truth brokers. We handle the truth, and that truth is articulated. Michael with the kids, Ant with the youth, um, John the team with the young adults. We do it here. We are articulating truth in the context of where we're at in our age group and age in our stage. That's what's going on here. We are engaging in warfare, we are, under, we, we are tackling the lies that we have believed, that we get hit with through the media, through our friends, through stuff we see constantly, through organizational structures, right? And we come to church, and we hear the truth articulated, and we get recalibrated. We get reset. We go, oh, yeah, that's true. I love this thing on, on, on our iPhones, you know, so like sometimes there, there was, um, there's a compass thing, and they usually say, before you do the compass, you've got to do this, right? Recalibrating, because there's a magnetic thing, and sometimes some, some forces have impacted it, so north is not actually north. You've got to just do that first, right? <laughs> so some of us, we've got to do this, right? And we get that done here. This is where it happens, 
right? We get reset, we get recalibrated, we get refocused on who we are, who God is, what his mission in the earth is, right? That happens at church. And it's, it's, just, it's just amazing because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, all right? I'm the way, the truth. It's about truth and lies. So war, the first one. Second one um, is worship. And so one of the CEOs that um, uh, I've, I've been involved in, in, in training or working with me uh, for other CEOs is our CEO in Vietnam. And he called me up a couple of days ago. Uh, he sent me a WhatsApp text and he said, hey, Pete, I'm just... So I wanted to play you the song. So things are really difficult in Vietnam at the moment. We've just lost, lost a colleague to COVID. Things are really tough. And we've come together and we've written a song uh, in our teams. And I know you love music, so I wanted you to uh, listen to it. It was amazing. Well, actually, it was in Vietnamese, so I couldn't really understand it, but it was great. <laughs> I understood the principle of it. So. Um, but basically, so we're using the song to help process our grief, to help understand And I'm thinking, huh, that sounds very much like a psalm to me. You know, where David was, there are songs of lament. And I actually said to him, I'm actually part of a community where we, and I'm actually one of the song leaders, and we actually come up with uh, a set of songs that give our community a vocabulary, a platform, a vehicle to process stuff. Right? Because what happens when we sing truth, like we sang it today, you are good, you are good, you are good. Right? When everything around us says he isn't. <laughs> but when we articulate the truth, it does something to us. So the worship. So let's have Colossians 3, verse, verse 16 up. Um, and this is Paul explaining how we should do church. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So us singing is a really crucial part for us to get recalibrated, right? So every time we sing, every time, so it's what, what happens here, like let your kingdom come, it will be done. Your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. Like we get reset, we believe it. Because what happens, what happens when we sing the songs, when we articulate and declare the truth? We believe it. And when you believe it, what does Jesus say in um, About the truth, I've got it here somewhere. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the freedom business, right? So as we articulate it, it gets into us. We believe it, right? Really powerful. So, and that's what's going on during worship, right? We're articulating truth and the change for, um, yeah, it's John 8, 32. That's what it is. And as I was driving in the car with Jack, he said uh, from that wedding, he said, yeah, I'm just listening to your guys' worship. 
and I saw how you were interacting, I just remembered how amazing church was. Oh, it's just wonderful. And so, because he'd encountered a little taste of the Holy Spirit, he'd heard truth articulated and did something. Um, And then finally, the third W. Um, Now, what's really, really interesting, if you ever want to figure out how things were meant to be done originally, it's very often a good idea to go back to when it all started. Because, you know, when um, sometimes we get distracted, we get, you know, go off track a little bit. And when I was trying to figure out why do I want to go to church? Why should I go to church? What is church all about? What's the secret source of church? Let's go back to when to church was day one. When was day one of church? Remember? Was that? There you go. Pentecost, right? Because Jesus said, before he left in Acts 1, he said, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he says, you will receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Samaria, Judea. Power. And we read in Acts 1, so when they were met together, like they became a sound, like a mighty wind. And tongues of fire came on their heads and they started speaking in tongues. The church was born. And if we take the Holy Spirit out of church, it's just a social group. This place is about power. I need power. I need power to overcome the things I'm doing. We need power to see what's coming end of what's happening in, in, in Afghanistan. That's why we pray for it. This is a place of power. <laughs> it's just, I, I love it. Like 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Where Paul says, um, the kingdom of God It's not a matter of words, but a matter of power. That's what it's all about. And the moment you lose sight of the fact, and I lose sight of the fact that there's something supernatural what's going on here, then we may as well go home. Social group. They're much better social groups than this. And I'd realized, right, the reason why that when I didn't want to come to church, I'd taken the Holy Spirit out. I'd lost my supernatural expectation of what happens over here. I'd lost it. And because it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference, right? John 16, John 16, it says, when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, it says, he will lead you into all truth, right? Truth, it's again, we back to, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, you know? It's just like the Holy Spirit leads us into truth. That's the secret source. That's the power. That's the change. And when we're nearing the end of our journey in the car with Jack, um, we just started talking about what I believe and Harris and Sam believes church is about. I said, you know what? 
Paul says, I will boast of my weaknesses. And because his strength is made perfect in my weakness, right? It's not about us earning the right to come here. This is family. We have all been adopted. God has made an incredible sacrifice so that we can be as adopted as sons and daughters so we don't need to do the works, right? We can come here as family and let the change happen from the inside out. It's not about cutting off bad fruit. It's about growing a new tree, right? And that's what happens because we already accepted as sons and daughters. You don't need to pose. You don't need to print. Just turn up here. Turn up and encounter the Holy Spirit. That, that, that feeling during the worship is like a hug from the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, on the M40, at about 70 miles an hour, the wind of the Holy Spirit entered the car. And Jack started crying. And you can get emotional myself. It was amazing. And um, <laughs> Harris and uh, Sam said to me after, like, at that point, we just started jabbering and we just started praying because something was going on. A battle was being won. Truth had come into that car. And he believed that. And he said, you know what? Maybe I'll give church another try. Right? So what had happened in that car at 70 miles an hour on the A40 is what happens here. Right? We address the we tackle the lies that we've believed, and we've believed all of them. And what's beautiful about church is that what we love about the vineyard is that everyone gets to play. Uh, and it's, we, we, we can do ministry now, um, and we'd love, there's, there's the fifth W, and that is will. We have got to say yes to the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force himself on you. All right? We need to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And that's a choice that only you can make. Some of you need power. Some of you need power to deal with a difficult relationship. Some of you need power to deal with work, a difficult thing at work. Some of you don't even know if you believe in God. And some of you sitting at home, it's like, you know, wherever you are, it's just like, and what we see, it's just, we're broken. There's war. Some of you have been beaten up with war. And that's why, oh, I love this. James 5. I didn't use this Bible once, actually. It's really bad. Um, James 5. I love it. He says, verse 15, Is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. If anyone's sick, he should call the elders of the church and pray over him. And anoint him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man and woman is powerful and effective. So what happens here, there's nothing magical about this space. So Holy Spirit is here. Because, you know, we just all come. We just come. We just come forward. 
So we pray for each other. We believe everyone gets to pray. Priesthood or believers. We're all elders. We'll pray for each other, right? It's not magical. Because the key thing is, Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus says, if two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. That is a profound statement. Profound. That means he's here. And everything we read about him, he can do here, right now. That is why we do church.